Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot here. We're going to do an impromptu. Hey, Mary Kay, I just sent out the text about 10, 15 minutes ago, and we got lots of questions back, Mary Kay. So people very interested to talk about the Browns with their 53-man roster set. Uh, we're not outside. We're inside, but still lots of background noise apparently here. We're in the media room uh, in Berea. So Chris from Chicago, let's just start here. Hey, Mary Kay, after watching training camp in the preseason, how confident are you in Deshaun Watson being able to become an elite quarterback like he was in Houston? You know what? When I watch Deshaun Watson, I see a tremendous arm, great arm talent. I see really good decision making, excellent footwork, agility, athleticism. He still has all of the talent that I ever saw him have before when he was coming out of Clemson or when he played in Houston. He still has all of that unbelievable athleticism. So I don't think he's lost that. Uh, The thing is, it has to all come together. The play calling, the talent around him, uh, you know, the environments that he's playing in, the weather. I mean, there were a lot of things that were different for him in Houston than they're going to be here. So I think, you know, I think that's it more than anything. It's a series of unknowns. Now he's got a lot of new guys. He's learning Elijah Moore. Uh, He's got a new rookie receiver in Cedric Tillman. So it's really just a bunch of unknowns for him. It's not a well-oiled machine like it is with Patrick and Andy Reid or some of the other combos that you see in the NFL. So more so than anything, Uh, I just think it's a matter of how is it all going to come together? Yeah, I think it's the skill sets all there. Like you said, we see it all. It's I think the speed of the game, too. Like, is he going to get caught back up to NFL speed? And I think that was a big issue last year in those six games. Like he just wasn't ready for NFL speed. I think we kind of take for granted how fast it is because we watch it every week. But I mean, if you're playing quarterback, I can't imagine it's easy to just drop yourself right back in and be up to speed and be able to make those reads, deal with the pass rush, get the ball to the right person. You're playing in an offense you've never played in before. There's a lot going on. So I think the biggest obstacle is will he get back to where he needs to be as far as feeling the game and understanding the game and and getting up to speed with the game? Yeah, that is a huge issue. And then the other, the corollary to that is the fact that his teammates weren't ready for him either. They had spent 11 weeks playing with Jacoby Brissett, and they were so used to Jacoby and his style. I mean, you had Jacoby Brissett and Amari Cooper 
texting each other a million times a day, just talking about the game plan and talking about uh, the defenders that they were going to be going against and the schemes that they were going to be facing that week. And they were so in sync with each other that by the time anybody got back with Deshaun, they were so Jacoby-focused that it really was hard to just make that transition to a completely different style of quarterback, one that was going to take off running, one that you had to be ready for a no-look pass. And we've seen some of those in practice here. Uh, you know, one where, you know, you had to make sure that you were uh, really on point with the sight adjustments and that you were staying relevant and staying in his peripheral vision and, and just being there for him. The blockers had to be able to block for a dual threat quarterback. It was just, everything was different. It was so late in the season. And that coupled with Deshaun really just coming back into a very, very difficult situation. I mean, how hard it, was it for everybody involved for him to have to start? And I'm not saying we feel sorry for him. Right. So let's not right. get that wrong. I'm just saying that it was, uh, it was a very, very difficult place for him to try to come back and focus on football. Okay, uh, this is sort of Deshaun adjacent. Derek from Grand Rapids. Hey, Mary Kay, with Marquise Goodwin back in the picture, how do you envision wide receiver snaps will be split up among the top four wide receivers in week one? So your top four, it's obviously Cooper, DPJ, and Elijah Moore. Number four could be any number of guys. Marquise is in that mix. Cedric Tillman is in that mix. Um, I'm probably forgetting David somebody. Bell. David Bell is in that mix. Yeah, of course I forgot <laughs> David Bell. David Bell is in that mix. But how do you sort of see snaps being split up with Marquise in the mix now? Well, I think it's going to depend on um, on the matchups. If you can create a mismatch between Marquise Goodwin and the Bengals defense and try to get him behind that defense and they don't have anybody that can keep up with a world-class speedster like a Marquise Goodwin, then you're going to get him out there uh, and, and you're going to let him play in that game and let those two guys uh, do their thing. And Deshaun obviously has the arm to get him the ball deep and in a hurry and fast. So, uh, you know, if they don't have an answer for Marquise Goodwin, then you're going to see Marquise Goodwin out there. But if it seems like two tight ends or sometimes even three tight ends uh, would be more beneficial against what the Bengals have to offer, then you will see that. So I think this each week we're going to go through this and we're going to see it's going to be a matchup game. It's going to be a chess match, and they have so many different guys that can do so many different things that um, it will come down to that. And I, you know, I just really think that. Um, that they don't know yet exactly who's going to get how many snaps each week. And here's the other thing about that. Sometimes those uh, dynamic favorite receivers, those favorite targets for a player, that doesn't present itself, you know, right away. It doesn't present itself in training camp. I mean, that happens in game. How many times did Odell Beckham Jr. used to say to us, the chemistry is developed in the middle of the right. game, Right. So we don't know yet how Deshaun and Elijah Moore are going to be in-game or really how Deshaun and anybody is going to be in-game. And I think that it, it will present itself over the first few weeks. And I think, too, with like Goodwin, he's not going to be – I mean, your top three is going to get – they're going to get the snaps. They're going to get – you know, Goodwin, he might play 20% of the snaps one week. Like, now, there might be a week where he plays 50%, but it, you know, it is matchup-based like you were saying. But I wouldn't view him as like a – 
I wouldn't put him on the level of the starters just in the sense that I think he's a guy that's going to come out there in certain packages and certain situations. And sometimes we'll see those packages more, sometimes not. But I do feel like, you know, because of his speed, he might get more of a look this year than Cedric Tillman. Now, Tillman might get a lot more work in like the red zone or something like that. But I think Goodwin, because of his speed, because he's a veteran, you know, assuming he's good to go week one, I think probably of those guys below the top three ends up with the most snaps. Yeah, and the thing that we're going to have to see and they're going to have to figure out is what is he ready for coming off of blood clots? He has missed all of training camp. Now, he has tried to keep his conditioning going um, you know, until he was able to be actually cleared for full football activity. He really has been running and conditioning off to the side, uh, but it's different. It's different when you get into a game and, uh, you know, and you've got to be sprinting full speed uh, on your go routes a bunch of different times. So I think it's going to depend on what he's up for and what he's ready for. That will be a factor. Okay, Rory from Wisconsin Dells. This is a good question to answer since we just got the 53. What position group is too thin and which group would you adjust to fix the need? So thinking through this roster here, where do you think the Browns are a little bit too thin right now? Uh, that's a good question. How about guard? Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that one, but yeah, you're right. Right? We did get a Michael Dunn question, so so there we go. Two for one here. There you go. So yeah, they you know they are definitely thin at guard right now, and they're going to need to get Michael Dunn back up onto their active roster from the practice squad as soon as they can. I think it might not happen the first week. It might not even happen in the second week, but. I definitely think they need to do it. I mean, right now they only have Joel and, and Wyatt, right? They don't have a guard per se. No, I think – so this is what we talked about a little bit on the pod. So Luke Whipler didn't play center against Kansas City at all. He only played guard. Yeah. Which tells me they think that he's probably an extra guard, but I don't know that you're going to trust a rookie who never played guard in college to be your top guard if something were to happen to Wyatt. and you know, Joel's going to be fine, but if something were to happen to Wyatt. Yeah, and um, the thing about Michael Dunn is the fact that he has started 28 games over the last three years uh, for the Browns. He's done so much for this team. He's got plenty of experience, and you can throw him in there, uh, you know, in different situations. You know, you can you can have him eligible. Uh, so, you know, he's done a lot, and I think that uh, that they're probably going to find out that they want him up on the uh, on the 53 as soon as they can get him there. So, I mean, let's just get to it. Uh, this came from Donna in Concord. Why is Michael Dunn on the practice squad? You know, I, I really do believe that it is a bookkeeping move. They just needed some extra spaces right now to let some things shake out. They have to figure out who needs to go on short-term IR and who doesn't. Because if you put a guy on short-term IR, he's got to stay there for four games. Four games have to have elapsed before you can come back. Maybe they don't know if they need to do that with an Alex Wright yet. Maybe they want Alex Wright to stay on, uh, you know, on the active roster and not have to put him on that short-term IR. So I think it's, uh, it has just a lot, to, a lot more to do with bookkeeping than it does Michael's talent and where he belongs right now. Can we talk about running back too? I still think they're thin at running back. And the fact they went out and traded for a running back tells mm -hmm. me that they agreed with that sentiment. And Jerome Ford's back. Um, but there's still, we haven't seen Jerome Ford do it. So I, until we see it, I, I don't know. I still think they're a little thin there and I could make the case, the position we just talked about, if the wrong guy gets hurt, 
um, they could be a little thin at receiver. Well, not only are they are they really thin at running back, but there are question marks there. Uh, Jerome Ford has missed most of training camp with a hamstring injury. So it remains to be seen how healthy he is heading into this game. So they went out and they traded for Pierre Strong, and that's all well and good, but he just got here. Yeah. And he his head is still spinning. So he's learning a new scheme. He's learning new terminology. I mean, you would really have to wonder, is he going to be up to the task of trying to pick up the blitz on third down against the Steelers in on September 18th? Yes. I mean, you open against... Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, and then T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith and Cam Hayward. So, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. And what if Jerome isn't ready for that kind of duty? Then you're looking at having Nick Chubb in the game a ton, okay? And it's a different animal when you've got to run on first and second down, and then you have to try to hold off T.J. Watt on third down or, or whoever, <laughs> right? I mean... It's just, it's just a different animal when you have to do all of that. And I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. I think that uh, you're right. They could probably still use another running back. They don't even have another running back on the practice squad right now. No. So, you know, it seems to me that they could use at least one more on the – well, actually, they, oh, they do. do have, they do have Hassan Hall. They do. Um, They've got Hall. Hassan Hall on, yeah. on there. Sorry about that. I forgot about old Hassan. But um, – but I don't know. It just it does seem a little thin to me there. Okay, we sort of answered the second part of this question. Who gets more snaps in week one, Cedric Tillman or Marquise Goodwin? Um, but the first part, I feel like we get this question every year, but I also feel like it's relevant, especially this year. So, hey, Mary Kay, this comes from Joe in London, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, is this the most complete roster since 1999? You know, I'm going to say yes, and I'm not even, even going to hesitate because... I think it's the best quarterback since 1999. Yeah. And that's the most important position. And so, therefore, uh, I do think it is the most complete roster. Because an elite quarterback, assuming that he is the Deshaun Watson, we all believe that he is, uh, an elite quarterback can cover up a lot of ills. It can, you know, it can mask some other problems that you might have somewhere else on the team. Because if you can score the football and you can get the job done, uh, you know, with your legs and arms as the quarterback and you're scoring those points and not throwing interceptions, then, um, you know, then you're going to have a, a darn good chance to win the football game. So I'm going to say, yes, it is the most complete roster because in addition to having Deshaun Watson, they are pretty talented at pretty much every other position. Yeah, we could go through position by position and probably point like, have they ever had, a, since 99, they have not had a running back as good as Nick Chubb. Um, Amari Cooper is up there as far as best receivers they've had. I mean, the list is not very long. Amari Cooper might be at the top of it. Elijah Moore would play on any Browns team since 99. The O-line, I mean, the O-line is the one area where you can point to some different eras where they've had really good O-line. Of course, they, the one guy just went into the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, have they ever had a pass rushing duo like Miles and Zedarius? No, I mean, Maybe we close, thought, we but... thought, yeah, close with Jadavian and Miles. Yeah. When Jadavian was in his nine sack year and he was actually trying that year. <laughs> uh, and then, At least when his, when his bonus was on the line. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, so I did think that they were an excellent pass rush duo, and so did Miles. He thought they were the best pass rush duo in the NFL. So they did have that. 
But just man for man, even across that whole defensive line, they're better now. And then when you go all the way back through every level of the defense, they're more talented. Yeah, I mean, I think they've had better individuals. Like, they've had Josh Cripps, right? Phil Dawson. um, You you know, Joe Thomas, obviously. But as a whole, I I think it's impossible to even argue there was another roster as talented as this one. One through 53. Um, Okay. This comes from the 970 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, how do you think the Browns will deploy their cornerbacks against AFC North opponents? So who covers Pickens, Odell, Higgins, Mark Andrews, uh, Jamar Chase. If we, can, we can go through the whole list. Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, <laughs> how, how they're going to deploy these guys. And the reason I picked this question is because I think that's one of the most interesting things about this defense is all the different body types. So like against the Bengals, right? Denzel Ward can cover Jamar Chase, and Martin Emerson can cover uh, T. Higgins because he's big. And then you got Tyler Boyd against Greg Newsome, or so, you know things like that. So I, I think that's sort of how they built this room to deal with all these different looking receivers. Yeah, they really have. It is a very eclectic uh, defensive backroom, not just their cornerbacks, but their safeties. And I really do think that they are extremely talented. And the good part about them this year, I think, is the fact that um, Martin Emerson, I think, is just going to take that next big step up that you expect your rookies to do in their in their second season. You want them to be so much better than they were as rookies. He was pretty darn good as a rookie, uh, but I think you'll see that he's even better this year. Now, the big question mark, the absolute huge question mark, going into this opener and those three AFC North games in those first four weeks is what about Denzel Ward? We got a lot of questions about Denzel and and his future. Yes. I mean, Denzel Ward suffered a concussion in the preseason finale. The last couple times he has suffered a concussion, one last year in 2022, it kept him out for three games. And then in 2018, he was out for a couple games, came back for a game, and then out for another game. I kind of think that that was sort of the same head injury. I mean, it would be a little bit of a coincidence to come back and and be like, oh, this one has nothing to do with the one you had two weeks ago. (laughs) This one's brand new. I mean, no, it doesn't really work like that, I don't think. But anyways, so, you know, he has demonstrated that he needs time to get back to his baseline. And last year, he was having persistent headaches. And if you're showing symptoms like that, you are not getting out of the concussion protocol. So if that happens to him again, then the same thing can happen because you just keep getting set back. And he's at the mercy of the independent neurologist and his exams, his, you know, MRIs or whatever they're, they're doing, the brain scans or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just up to the medical staff and the Browns don't even know. They don't even know when, Denzel Ward is going to be back. So it is a concern. We are always concerned about these concussions and about the long-term effects on these players. Anybody that covers the NFL, we worry about this. We see these hits. You know, we see guys get carted off. We see, uh, you know, people not having movement in their extremities for periods of time on the field. All of this is scary. And for Denzel Ward to be going through this right now, uh, I can tell you what, as a mom... I know his mom's worried about it, right? Oh, I mean, it has to be. Absolutely, his mom has to be worried about this. And, you know, family mem- members do get involved uh, when it comes to long-term health. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll have family meetings and talk things over. 
I'm sure he's going to be fine. I'm sure he's going to come back and play football and be healthy and have a, a nice long career. But it is a concern when this is your fourth head injury. We don't know if he's going to be ready to play against the Bengals. Usually, when you have one concussion, it's easier to get the next one. And when you have a concussion, it sometimes takes you that long to get back again to your baseline. Now, hopefully for him, it won't take that long this time. But there's a chance he could be out for two weeks or three weeks. We just don't know yet. Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll get to some Katie York questions. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabin, an impromptu Hey Mary Kay here, and our texters came through with some questions for us. Uh, you want to get involved in texting, you go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, and sign up for Football Insider. Along with texting, you get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day. We, uh, one of us usually writes the top for that. And then also you get access to those stories on cleveland.com slash browns that are behind that paywall. Okay, so a couple of Katie York questions. One I thought was really interesting, and nothing against Don here. We're going to start with his. This is a more simple one. Don, still a good question. Hey, Mary Kay, did you feel that Kate just wanted to get out of town and start over? You know, he had an opportunity to come back here and sign to the practice squad here. But, yes, I absolutely think that once he got cut, he was he probably told his agent, I'm signing somewhere else. I don't want to be back there. And, you know, I don't know if that's how it went down, but I would have to think that being a fourth-round pick, there's so much scrutiny on him. You know, drafted kickers, you just naturally are going to draw extra criticism. And then he just struggled here. And there was, you know, there were so many questions. Uh, you know, there, there was, you know, he got grilled. But, you know, you don't grill a kicker who's making his kicks. You grill a kicker who's not making his kick. So, I mean, everybody here, of course, was just doing their job. Uh, But it kind of went south here to the point where I think probably the best thing for Cade York was to take this change of scenery and go sign with the Titans practice squad. Is that the best thing for the Cleveland Browns? Maybe not long term, because if he gets it together, he might very well be an excellent kicker. Again, we all saw the same thing happen with Daniel Carlson, after a rocky start, went on to be one of the best kickers in the NFL. Sometimes the kicker just needs to get it together or needs to kick his way through out of his slump or fix something in his swing. And, uh, you know, and that could happen with Cade York. But the Browns are not going to reap the benefits about, of that. I don't think he'll ever come back here. No. I mean, it's no. over. It's got to be. It's, it's, <laughs> it's over. And the other thing about here, and I've said this before, and maybe I'm making too much of this. Maybe he would completely scoff at this. But I think he always bristled. I know he always bristled okay. at the mention of Phil Dawson. He hated that. Um, and he, he sort of got into a, a battle of, of wills with some reporters around here. I don't think he, uh, I, I think he felt that there was too much focus on him, too much intense scrutiny and focus on him by the members of the media. And, um, and then, of course, as new kicker Dustin Hopkins observed, observed today, and you wrote about this today, uh, you know, he believes this place is notorious. It's so hard to come to Cleveland and kick. It's very, very difficult. And Phil Dawson deserves some kind of just badge of honor for being able to <laughs> succeed here in Cleveland with the conditions coming off of that lakefront. We, we've talked about this, the Dawson flag. 
some some people get mistaken. They think it's the big American flag or whatever, but it's actually lower down on that flagpole on the southwest end of the stadium. There's a little orange flag like you see on top of the field goal post. And if you're ever at Cleveland Brown Stadium, find that flag. And I'm telling you, I have almost never seen that thing. It's just still. It's always flapping around and like, it's crazy. And that that's the flag that Phil put up one random year and it's a pretty good indicator of, of what conditions are like to, when, it, when you're kicking in that stadium. Yes, absolutely it is. And the thing to remember in this situation, as we have talked about so many times before, Dan, is that Cade York never really even kicked right. in inclement weather. Like he never really had to experience it to the degree that, um, you know, that he would have if he had stayed here for the next five years. Right. I mean, I don't ever remember thinking, oh, obviously there's no way he could kick in those conditions. I, I don't even remember last year if there was what like what the deal was in the New Orleans game when it was like six yeah. below. But, you know, that that was one where it was extremely difficult to kick it. But for the most part, it just wasn't that bad. Um, so, you know, good for him. He's in Tennessee. Maybe maybe that will help him to be in you know a more favorable climate like that. And, uh, you know, maybe he can work through this. I hope he can work through this because you hate to see any young man, uh, you know, fail at their career when you know they're putting so much effort into it. And Dustin Hopkins is an example of a guy that has done it. Uh, was drafted, got hurt, lost a kicking battle the next year, ended up in Washington for a long time and has had a really successful career. So he, he's an example. Now, Ken Lieb from Westchester, Ohio, is thinking about Cade York. And this is interesting. So he says, hey, Mary Kay, I wonder if the results for Cade York would have been different if Kevin Stefanski had used a different game philosophy. With a rookie quarterback, you don't send him out there throwing bombs necessarily. You attempt easier passes to build confidence. Uh, the same with a backup quarterback. So what he's getting at is, should, should Kevin have thought about giving Cade some easier kind of shorter field goal attempts in moments where he went for it on fourth down instead? Did Cade miss out on some opportunities to build confidence with shorter kicks? Well, I mean, he did miss out on opportunities to build confidence, but that's not the goal for the football coach. The goal is to win the game in any way that you can. And we know what Kevin's philosophy is on those fourth downs. We know he's extremely aggressive. Uh, we know he's always going to take those kinds of chances. And also they go by analytics. So, you know, they, they've got, there are other forces besides Kevin Stefanski when it comes to that kind of play calling. Uh, a, a lot of times they are going by what the analytics department, uh, you know, the research that they have come up with about what is the right thing to do in those kinds of situations. So even though, yes, maybe you could have given him some easier kicks, that's, you know, that's an objective, perhaps, but it's not the goal. The goal is to win the game, and Kevin Stefanski is not going to do it uh, by trying to coddle his kicker. Yeah, I mean, it's just, the goal is to score points and win the game, like you said. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, however, however you do that, and you have to be who you are as a coach. So I, I think it's an interesting point, but also I think Cade still had opportunities. And by the I mean, Kevin was... You know, Mike Prefer talked about this last year, too. They were careful with when they sent him. They didn't – if they didn't have to make him take that kick in Carolina, they wouldn't have. 
they didn't want him to try to bomb a bunch of field goals early in his career. They wanted to try to keep him under 50 yards and, and keep him closer. So I think there was an effort for that. Okay, this is about the rookie class. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, is it just the preseason or does this rookie class look really solid? Uh, and what do we expect from them? You know, there are some some really good rookies in this class. A couple of them just made the team as undrafted rookies in um, – Mamad, am I saying that right? Uh, Mahmoud Di- Diabate. Mahmoud Diabate. I will get it. I have to practice <laughs> it a few times. The first name gets me too. I know because it's yeah. It, right. Yes, the spelling makes you want to say Muhammad. Yes. Or, yeah, but no, Mahmoud. Mahmoud. Okay, we will get and it. Now, now I'm going to find a pronunciation guide and double check while you talk. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Ronnie Hickman. I can say that he. Um, you know, those two guys just made the team as undrafted free agents. Good for them. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to come out of nowhere, not get drafted, and make an NFL team. And these guys did it in part because they're going to be really, really good on special teams. So good for them for that. And then we just had to name the Maurice Bassett Award winner. That's right. Um, and it was Dorian Thompson Robinson. He had a He had an excellent preseason, enough that, you know, he made Joshua Dobbs expendable. Now, the thing is, is he going to be ready? What if he goes down? What if Deshaun goes down with an injury in week one and DTR has to start on Monday Night Football in Pittsburgh? It could happen. (laughs) It would be a very Browns thing. Right. Stranger things have happened. So it's a bit of a risk, uh, but they were prepared and willing to take that risk. Um, but he had a really, really nice preseason. And then his good buddy, Cedric Tillman, I thought he had a nice preseason. Uh, you know, he really came along and he's going to be a a good, solid, polished receiver as a rookie. I I thought he did a really nice job. Again, he's six foot three. He's one of the reasons that Austin Watkins did not make the final 53 because they had that big body guy already. Um, so, you know, he did a really nice job. And then Dewan Jones, Dewan Jones, I mean, he, you know, he started off very raw and he was not in the kind of shape that he needed to be even just for for rookie minicamp. And he's pulled it together. I mean, he has pulled it together and he's done a really, really nice job. Um, So good for him. And then you've got Cam Mitchell, you know, Cam Mitchell looked like he can contribute. I mean, he can actually... Uh, you know, play in the slot and do some things. And he he might have won the more he's Bassett if he would have stayed healthy. He yeah. was he was starting to come on. Yeah, I mean he he looks good. I mean he looks the part. I mean the moment hasn't been too big for him. So this team is establishing itself as one that can draft cornerbacks. I think right. Yes. Certain teams are better at drafting certain positions than others, and I think these guys have the cornerback thing down. Um, so. Yeah, that's um, you know that you know those are the highlights. Am I missing anybody major? I probably am. Oh, Siaki Ika. Um, yes, he was he was pretty quiet. This yeah, camp. he had a little bit of a quiet camp, but I you know I think once he gets more up to speed, he's in a very crowded room with a lot of really good players. Once he gets up to speed, I think you'll see him starting to contribute, and then Isaiah McGuire will have opportunities at defensive end, their fourth round pick. Uh, because um, Alex Wright is still sidelined with a knee injury. So uh, we'll see a little bit more of those guys as we go along. But for the most part, it does look like a very solid rookie class. 
Um, Mahmoud Diabate. Mahmoud Diabate. Mahmoud Diabate, yes. And also, yeah, I'll just leave it at that because I want to bring him up for this next question. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay, what is your sense of the special teams this year? Will we see an improvement over the past few seasons? If so, do you think it will be due to... Do you think it will be due to coaching or personnel? Well, I'll tell you what I did. Um, you know, we we're, we're talking about the the newsletter that we do, and we have this thing called the Easter Egg, where we you know do like a little surprise thing for our uh, subscribers each morning. And one of the th- I did you know three thoughts on the fifty three man roster. One of the things that I did was um, Bubba Ventrone and the week that he had. I mean, he lost his number one returner, Jakeem Grant, to a ruptured patella tendon, and then they had to cut his kicker. So think (laughs) about that, right? I mean, what a week for Bubba Ventrone. There goes your number one returner and your your starting kicker in the same week. So he (laughs) is regrouping right now, and they will be auditioning guys for, for... returns and you know they should have Jerome Ford on kickoff returns but again he's coming off of a hamstring injury so you know they've, they've got a little work to do on their returns and then they just brought in Dustin Hopkins who again Dan wrote about him today so go read that um, but they brought in Dustin Hopkins and he's a good veteran kicker he's a good veteran kicker but what he doesn't necessarily do well is kick well from 50 plus. Right. He's 15 of 30 from 50 plus. And, and two of five the last two years. He's yeah. been really good. His numbers the last two years are really good, but yeah. two of five from 50 plus. But not from 50 plus. And so, you know, it's a bit of a liability to go into a season knowing that, um, hey, you know, Evan McPherson from the Bengals can go out and make that kick for you. Justin Tucker can go out and make that kick for you. Um, you know, these guys can do it. But the Browns don't necessarily have that guy right now. So I think there are some challenges on special teams. But if you look at, you know, coverage and blocking and whatnot, they should be okay that way because they have DeAnthony Bell, as we've talked about, their best special teams player. They've got Mike Ford, who they added this year, who's amazing on special teams. They added linebacker Matt Adams. He's really good on special teams and, you know, basically on this team largely because of that. And then, as we mentioned before, Mahmoud and Ronnie Hickman, who are going to be key members of, of special teams as are other guys. Um, but so from that standpoint, they've got a lot of uh, Bubba Ventrone type of guys out there that are sort of in his mold when he played here on special teams. But there are some unknowns at returner and kicker right now. Yeah, I mean, while you were talking, I was just looking through the roster, and there's, you know, those names you mentioned are all guys, you know, Ford and Adams were guys that were specifically brought in for Bubba. Um, and then Diabate and Hickman, you don't make the roster as an undrafted guy if you if the special teams coordinator doesn't think you could do it. Um, DeAnthony Bell, who you mentioned, obviously, and we talked about, was a core special teamer a year ago, and that's how he got on. Um but then, you know, Tony Fields is back, right? And there's, there's other guys. You can look through this roster and pick out 10 is probably a little bit much, but probably five to eight, like, core special teams players who, when you're watching kickoff coverage and punt coverage, you're going to hear those names over and over and over again. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, too, and that is uh, the Browns did a really nice job of supplying Jim Schwartz 
with what he needs to be successful. And I'm sure when you go through the interview process and you interview these really successful coordinators like Jim Schwartz and Bubba Ventrone, you have to have the discussion, we're going to give you what you need to be (laughs) successful, right? Or they're not taking the job. I mean, they're just not. They don't have to do this. Jim Schwartz was almost retired. So if you're going to bring him back, you have to give him a lot of things to help him look good and be successful to be able to run his scheme. And they did that. Uh, They really stocked that defensive line in particular. And then with Bubba, um, they did. They added guys like uh, Matt Adams is new, Mike Ford is new, and then again, the two undrafted rookies are both new. So he has plenty to work with from that standpoint. Um, Now they just have to get some of those other parts right. Okay, that'll do it here, a little impromptu uh, Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Like I mentioned earlier, Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for info on that. Uh, Find us on Instagram, uh, just search Orange Brown Talk and follow us there, and also look for us on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com to get subscribed to that channel. Uh, For Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.